Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Cool. So we're talking about uh, love today, uh, going through the themes of Advent and just looking at the various texts, the parts of the story, and wanting to enter into the story. And in this particular uh, text that we heard Linda lead, read earlier, uh, we want to just spot some of the moments uh, that we see as an expression of the love of God uh, to people that are in that story. And I think you could probably safely say that you can see words of uh, love from God written on every page of the Bible. Uh, so that's actually not a difficult task. Um, but I want to talk about love in general for just a moment, just as Matt did last week, talking about um, not hope, but holy smokes has gone peace. <laughs> Matt was talking about peace last week. Uh, just from a, from a general perspective, uh, there's a number of different words that we have for love uh, in, in the Greek that are really important. There's kind of like a phileo love, like a brotherly love. And there's another love that speaks to erotic love. And there's another love that speaks to, uh, you know, various other sort of ways of expressing uh, affection. Um, and then, of course, here what we see is this word agape uh, that speaks to sort of an overarching, uh, I love this language, you see it on your slide, uh, love which is centered in a moral preference. It's altruism, it's goodwill, it's selfless love, it's kind of a divine love. And we want to uh, sort of talk about that this morning and say that the love that God has for us is a love that is uh, so selfless and so generous and so kind. And of course, as we uh, receive his love, of course, we want to begin to be people who move more and more in that as well. So, uh, you know, of course, we in the English language just have this word love and it gets used for all kinds of things. It's one of those really, really sloppy words that... Um, could mean anything. I mean, I really love bacon. You know, bacon is fantastic. I love bacon. And I really love my wife. I really love my wife. She's amazing. And boy, I love Jesus. And I love all of humanity. You know, so it's just this is word that just gets used for everything, right? And, uh, and I don't know, maybe it's overused sometimes, but uh, we could find some creative ways to add nuance to our expression of that. But um uh, we really want to focus in on sort of the overarching, generous, altruistic uh, sense of love from God. So I'm just going to go back to the text, and we're just going to walk through the story, and I'm just going to notice a few places where we see God's love uh, poured out to us, um, as expressed in the scriptures. Uh, so this first little piece uh, from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, the first couple of verses there. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of, of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now, this just seems like uh, a couple of verses that are just kind of like giving you details, that are giving you some facts, uh, giving you a little bit of the data. Um, there's like, how do you find the love of God uh, in there? But I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that uh, when Luke was writing this, he was writing uh, this book uh, to all of the believers that would follow through history, to you and to me and to the people in the immediate vicinity, time-wise, uh, where he was living. And his great passion was to see that you would come to know Jesus, that you would come to know Jesus as, uh, as your Savior, uh, that you would come to follow him, that you would come to know his story. And when you look at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1, 
verses one to four, he, he shows the purpose for the book. He says, many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he's saying, uh, many have undertaken to drop an account of this. Uh, they wanted to describe what happened. They, they wanted to share the story of Jesus. And this story, though, it was handed down to us by eyewitnesses, uh, people who are servants of the word. So I want you to know that these are people that you can trust. You can go connect with them. You can go talk to those eyewitnesses. And we know that people that Luke was writing to probably went and talked to those eyewitnesses to verify the story, to investigate, to find out about it. And he says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I wish we knew more about who Theophilus was, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And so I just want to say that God expresses his love for you in the data. God expresses his love for you in the details of the story, in the reality that you can go back you can put on the hat of a historian, you can go into a library, you can climb through dusty stacks and uh, do some research, you can search the internet, you can go to Wikipedia pages, you can uh, dig deep to uncover and investigate the history of this person, Jesus. And you can arrive, as the text says, uh, with a sense of certainty of the things that you have been taught. And to be able to carry some certainty about the things that we've been taught are a tremendous gift of love, a tremendous gift of love. Now we are taught like philosophically in our time that like from a postmodern perspective, like we're not supposed to take anything seriously. We're not supposed to really believe anything. We're not supposed to be certain about anything. All of this sort of flows out of um, scientific uh, investigation that sort of has worked its way into philosophy. 1927, uh, a man named Heisenberg uh, developed a principle that, he, that is called now the uncertainty principle. And the idea is that if you investigate anything, if you're trying to find out the way a particle works in physics and you shoot a laser at it or you shoot x-rays at it, the very nature of looking at that thing in detail will change its state will change its shape. And so by the very act of looking at it and investigating it, you're changing what you're looking at. And it goes into wave and particle theory and all kinds of different uh, stuff there, details we don't need to get into. But the reality is, is that that's worked its way into philosophy, that's worked its way into education, and we're sort of taught to look at history and to look at everything with enormous suspicion because we can't really hold on to it. We can't really believe it. What I want to say to you, about the story of Jesus is that whatever laser you point at it, whatever uh, waves that you bounce at it to try to determine if that story is true, to determine if it's something that you can rely on, if it's something you can trust in your life, if you can have some certainty about the things that you've taught, however you investigate, however you challenge it, you're going to find at the center a God who loves you through the data loves you through the story. And we just see thing after thing after thing in biblical history uh, that's verified by archaeology and science. And we just know that um, the Lord loves us through letting us kind of 
go, okay, yeah, we've got that one. We know that Jesus lived. We know that he rose from the grave. We know some things about him and we can rest comfortably in our faith. Now, of course, uh, just maybe Matt can put a pin in this for the discussion afterwards. I think sometimes Christians have too much certainty and I think we can be bombastic and arrogant sometimes. So there's a need to look at all this with humility, but um, boy, we can really trust the word of God as it's presented to us. He loves us through his word. He loves us through the data. So going on to verse four. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the line of David. Again, this is just another seemingly like another piece of data, another little piece of uh, information. But I want us to look at this piece, this idea that it was really important to the author Luke to let us know that Jesus was from the line of David and say, how does God love us through that piece of data? Uh, if you're like me, uh, have you ever looked at your family tree? You've ever looked back at your history and, you know, I've had some fun doing this on ancestry.com or whatever and trace my family name back to people in uh, a part of Germany that is now part of Poland, uh, small town people from Pomerania, farmers and all of that. I trace it back far enough and I can see that I have Jewish ancestry. Uh, at some point in the 1600s, 1640s, they converted to Christianity either under duress or maybe because they had some kind of authentic conversion experience. Uh, so I can see that and so I can sort of sort of proudly say, wow, I've got a little bit of Jewish heritage. I kind of love that. On my other side, uh, my grandfather, uh, some of our relatives claim that he's related uh, distantly to Leif Erikson, the Viking Erikson, the Viking explorer. And I go, yes, I got some Viking. You know, I kind of love having a little Viking in me. I'm not sure why that is, all the pillaging. Um, but uh, there's something that's, uh, that's kind of cool about having some Viking in me. And then there's some Irish uh, in the history as well. And uh, just other little bits of the story. And we sort of go around looking at our history for those high points. Uh, the reason we sometimes go looking at the history for our high points is because when we really think about who we are and we think about where we've come from, we look at our stories and we see that that past, that genetic heritage that we have, has actually affected our lives really greatly. Like it's really impacted us. It's affected, you know, our health. It's affected our, maybe it impacts our lifespan. Uh, maybe it impacts habits we have. Maybe uh, some of us might have a genetic predisposition to alcoholism or to mental illness or to any number of different things. And all of that is sort of back in our past. And if we look in our past, we might see uh, people who maybe were criminals or who whatever, and we carry shame from that. Uh, so we look at that and that past of ours that we have is something that is, it's completely out of our control, right? We can't go back and change it. You cannot change your relatives. You cannot go back and say, hey, I want to have a different family tree than I have because I don't like where I came from. But what this text is telling us, this story of letting us know that Jesus came from the line of David, uh, points to a couple of things. When it points to David, of course, it points to uh, the famous king of Israel's golden age. So he would have been the good king, in spite of the fact that we know he had some sin issues and some, some struggles, his relationship with Bathsheba and all of that. But he's basically point back to a good and wonderful 
and benevolent king. And of course, the second thing we see when we point to David is that he's the prophesied Messiah, the, the one who comes from the stump of Jesse, the one who comes uh, from uh, David's throne will, will ultimately come to rule David's throne. He's, he's the man, right? He's the guy. He's the Messiah. And so when we see that genetic lineage for Jesus there, uh, we see something amazing and beautiful. But what that means for us is that we trace our lineage, not back to my, I don't trace my lineage back to my ancestors uh, in uh, Germany. I don't necessarily trace my ancestors uh, back to the Vikings. My father is God Almighty. My brother is Jesus. And what God has done is he has adopted us into a new family. Whatever shame you're carrying from your past, whatever genetic heritage that you have, there is a whole new world of possibility and potential because you have been adopted into God's family. And he loves you. And you can point back now through Jesus and say, just like the ancient Jews did, say, hey, I'm a descendant of David, the king of Israel's golden age. I'm engrafted into this incredible family. I'm a part of God's story that started with Adam and goes through to the end of time. I'm part of something amazing. And you can look back at your family history, whatever happened, whatever uh, pain you carry from your relationships with your parents, whatever pain you carry from grandparents, whatever it is that comes from your past, you can say, hey, I have been born again. I have had a new start. I am part of a new story. We see this all over the New Testament, but just take us quickly to Ephesians 1, 4-5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, and listen to this, in accordance with his pleasure and will. You were adopted into Jesus, Joseph, David's family, according to God's pleasure. He delights to have you in his family. He delights to have you as his child. He delights to know you like that. He delights to rewrite your family tree with him in it and bring healing from so much of the stuff that we carry from our past. You have been born again. And we've seen this uh, actually transit, like actually result in sometimes physical healing for people as they've renounced the sins of their past, as they've uh, renounced uh, generational curses. We've seen people set free from sickness and disease when they've uh, taken that adoption and said, let that adoption be applied even to my physical self in some cases. And, and we know there's no formula here, but we've actually seen miracles happen as people express their lives going forward as an adoption into God's family. So he loves you through adoption. He expresses his agape love for you through adopting you into his family. I'm just going to read uh, into verse 5 now. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And this is the moment coming up here that, that we want to really notice. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. 
because there was no guest room available for them. And I just want to point to this moment where Mary took this little child who had been conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. She carried in her womb. Uh, she gave birth to him. Uh, she took his little body, wrapped it in warm cloths, and placed him in a manger. And what I see in my mind's eye in that moment is uh, the hands of God the Father through Mary's hands taking his son, his one and only son, and placing him in the manger. Now, have you ever uh, given a gift that you weren't sure you wanted to give? You remember this as kids, right? Like, you remember your parents shopping for your cousins? You remember your parents shopping for your siblings? And you see that thing that your parents have gotten for a sibling, and you're like, but, 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 I, I, I really want that. I, I want that thing. And when it comes time later to open up the gifts and to uh, share them, um, and you're the kid handing out the gifts, you know what's in that package for little Johnny, and you're like, you're handing it off and you're like gripping it a little tighter. You don't want to let it go because you know, the little Johnny wouldn't treat it as good as you would treat it. You know that he's not going to put the Lego pieces together the way you would put them together. There's this hesitation in giving a gift that's precious to you. And we of course know this as adults as well. Uh, we know what that's like to, uh, say give a gift um, a charitable act or something where you're thinking man I can't really afford to give this I can't I know what it's going to do to my budget but I know I'm called to give generously here and we sort of give but we give with a little grip we give holding on a little bit tightly or we know that uh, some time we're going to give is going to cost us more emotionally than we want and we give that time just a little bit of like oh, okay here it goes and uh I can just, I, I've seen that happen time again. Uh, the picture on the screen here is our, our family nativity set. And when I was uh, in my, like 21 years old, I guess, I just turned 21. Um, and I was uh, in, actually in Israel, in Bethlehem. And I met across from the place where we were staying, this awesome uh, sort of carpenter, had a carpenter shop behind him and sort of was sort of a street vendor and selling some of these nativity sets that he'd hand carved. This guy with gnarled old hands, um, could barely sort of see, but he could feel his work. You could tell he had cataracts. And um, I just remember uh, him sort of handing me this nativity set that I'd purchased. And uh, he was wrapping each uh, item in kind of a cloth rag and putting it into a bag for me. And I could see that as he handed the nativity set to me, he uh, was doing that grip thing, doing that hold it on tight thing because he had cared for it. He knew every um, contour of the face of the little baby Jesus that he'd carved. Uh, he knew the contour of the sheep and the shepherds and uh, the wood shavings were still on his floor. He was connected to this thing that he'd given me and you could tell that there was something in his eyes that was saying, man, I hope you'll cherish this thing as, as I've cherished making it for you. And I think that's exactly how I imagine uh, the father giving Jesus to us. When he, through Mary's hands, placed that little child in the manger and took his hands off and said, I'm, I'm allowing you to sojourn in the world for this time. You uh, pre-existent 
creator of the universe who spoke it all into existence with me. You, Jesus, who are me? I'm just going to set you free in the world to go and walk about and make disciples and care for people and show the world how to live. And when he placed that child in the manger with its perfect, soft skin, he knew how we would treat that gift. He knew that that skin would be marked by whips. He knew that that skin would be torn by thorns. He knew that that skin would have nails driven through its hands. And I can imagine that he just gripped a little tighter as he, through Mary, placed Jesus in the manger. And that is love. That is God's generous love for you. He knows our faults. He knows our sin. He knows the ways we'll betray him. And in his love, he gave his son to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. Because he loves you, God expresses agape love selfless love preferential love is see how in that moment he preferred your good over his own and he placed Jesus in the manger to say that he loves you and so it's left to us to humbly and gratefully receive that gift And so I'm pleading with you, if you're here and you're on this stream and you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, accept the gift of love. Accept him into your heart. Accept him into your life. If you're here and you wrestle with self-worth, you wrestle with a sense of your value. You wrestle with a sense of your place in the world. You wrestle with a sense of, could God even love me? Could he forgive me? Could he call me his child? You can see in this story of Jesus that God wanted you to have a relationship with him at whatever the cost. He wants you, so don't deny yourself the gift that he has paid for at such great expense. Receive his love. Follow him. Be his disciple. Uh, get to know him. Get to know this little child who became a carpenter, who became a rabbi, who became uh, the savior of the world, who bore your sins, who rose from the grave and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Get to know that gift. Get to know that person. You can come on ahead, Jake. Let's just pray.
Jesus, would you uh, paint this picture in our minds? Uh, paint the picture of uh, a story that could be investigated. Give us the courage to dig into it. Give us the courage to uh, accept a spirit of adoption. To accept that we belong to a new family and that you've given us a new future. And cause us to uh, be courageous enough to accept you into our hearts. To just accept mm-hmm. this incredible, generous gift of your love. Uh, we receive you, Jesus. We receive you. We welcome you into our lives. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.